1: Welcome to our sort of Brady Bunch group here. That's what it looks a little to me like In uh, for those who are watching this versus listening to it. Um, you might be wondering, well, gee, Ian is here. Sally's here. Shannon's here. Since when do all of these people join on one segment? <laughs> well, when we are celebrating a massive milestone in getting in a college coach conversation, and that is eight years of doing this weekly podcast, which is sort of amazing to think about. But the first episode aired on February 5th, 2015. And for anyone who's interested, it is in the archives. If you want to go back and take a listen, I actually spoke with a mom yesterday who has just started listening to the podcast and she started with episode number one. Oh my gosh. I suggested that she might want to start with the most recent episode and work backwards <laughs> because- that's a lot of episodes, 52 a year, actually 51, because we hi- we, uh, every Thanksgiving, we repeat one of our episodes. So we don't actually record one. Um, but otherwise, this is a weekly show and that makes for a lot of uh, episodes in the archive. So as I mentioned, welcome to my guests, Sally Ganga, Shannon Vasconcelos, Ian Fisher. Thanks you guys for being here.
2: Uh, we're Thank so you. glad to be here. By the way, Beth, I hope I'm not uh, derailing this too much, but you told me I was the first guest on the first segment, which I had forgotten, and I remembered that I didn't have the best setup at home, and I didn't want to go into the office for just 15 minutes, so I was literally like sitting on my bed because that's where the internet was the best, like on the (laughs) phone (laughs) looking through notes. Uh, My setup is a little bit better now, so that's nice. A little
1: better, although we probably should share with our listeners that Sally was having a microphone issue right before we got started, and she did say I could dime her up about well, the issue. It yeah. wasn't plugged in, so go figure. <laughs> exactly. we've, we've gotten really good at this, but maybe not as good as, but believe me, we have all had our moments when we're on the show. And as I think back to some of those early days, so the first... um the first segment aired, we had uh, agreed to do 13, so they, you do sort of segments of 13 unless you decide you want to commit and do the show for the full year, and we thought, well, let's just try it. Um, and for those first 13 episodes, the first 13 episodes, I was the host for every single one of them, and I didn't have a producer, uh, so I was corralling the guests and thinking through, like, what should we talk about and, you know, tapping people to help me with that. But I was doing all of it. And I am not at all ashamed to say that I don't do any of that. Like, basically, I show up when they tell me to show up now. Um, And I love that. That is a nice change for me. But one screw up I will mention is that in one of those early shows, um, and I don't know exactly which one, but I bet if you listened, you might be able to pick the one out. I didn't prepare for it at all, so I do a little prep before every one of these shows, and I have some notes for myself and you know introductions and things like that, but I, um, I just completely went in and was like, oh, I'll figure it out. I was late getting back to my uh, home where my setup was, and I just didn't have time to do it, and it was terrible and I <laughs> I swore I would never do it again and unlike those all-nighters I pulled in college to write papers I literally never did do it again so that was a lesson I, learned.
3: I really want to go back now and see if I can pick that one out <laughs> I think that's a challenge to our listeners
1: all right do it I, like I said I feel like it should be obvious but I don't know you tell me after you listen to them
3: you know what Sally just reminded me of when she said that she called from her phone on her bed to that first episode? It was up until fairly recently, but I had already forgotten that we used to call in by phone. Yes. Yeah. Nowadays, we do it all over Zoom. We can see each other. And I had completely spaced, and that's only been the past two, three years, something like that. Yeah. I completely spaced that we used to not be able to see each other. This is so much nicer.
1: It is. It is. Totally.
4: It's really changed things for me in terms of preparation because, you know, it used to be the guest was on, but they were only on audio. And so I could pretend like they weren't really there. And I had, I would script the introduction and I'd have all this stuff that I was ready to say. And now I'm like, well, my guest is already sitting here. I guess we got to get right into it and jump right into the <laughs> segment, which is probably better for the listeners, right? A little bit less of me pontificating my pre-prepared remarks uh, and instead just jumping right into the content. So I think it's made for more efficient uh, utilization of our time. And I guess people now know what we look like too. And all of our yeah. guests look like. So <laughs> there's some, there's some advantage.
1: <laughs> that could be good or bad. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Interestingly, there was there was definitely trepidation about the idea of being on camera, um, and some people on our team were sort of. I don't think I want to be on camera, but w- what I found since then is that maybe because we do so many more video calls now, and it's become such a part of our lives, I nobody these days says no, I'm not comfortable being on camera. Um, we don't make you don't have to be on camera to be a guest. We like it if you will are willing to, but um, we're. We're fine if someone just doesn't want to. Um, but I've not had anybody make that request um, since then. And and we probably should have gone back and checked this, but I feel like we've been doing the video for a while. Maybe it has only been I a couple of years.
3: I thought it started right around when COVID started.
1: It might yeah, have. Right. Because I remember
3: a lot of change happening all at once. And we were like, should we throw this on people too? Sure, why not? Everybody, come on video. We (laughs) want to see your faces since we, we can't see you any other times. We were all locked in our houses
1: yeah exactly and what i hate is when and i have been a few times in a place where the internet just doesn't support me being on camera and then so we're not on camera that's like it's definitely harder and ian to your point i had a guest on recently who had been a guest on the show a few years ago when we weren't doing video and it was such a better conversation because you're able to see each other and so you can see when the other person is done speaking mm-hmm. or when the other person is ready to ask a question. And, you know, for our listeners, maybe we're a little more in the weeds than you need to be right now, but these are the things that make us happy about about this. Yeah. But let me uh, let me bring it back to some things that I think will be of interest to our listeners. And so Sally, we already talked about you were our very first guest on the podcast. Um, and you and I discussed what we, I think, all would consider one of the age-old questions as far as college admissions is considered. <laughs> Shannon, we'll get to the age-old question on the and fi- the uh, finance side here shortly. but And that is whether it's better to have a B in honors or an A in college prep. And so... Can you give us a short version and and give us your take on, you know, has that changed? Has your answer changed or evolved any since we had that conversation?
2: I'm kind of wondering if you've met me, Beth, since you're asking about a short version, but uh, I'll, do, I'll do my best. Fair. Um, the funny thing is I actually had this exact conversation this morning on a phone call. Um, but yeah, basically I completely, I have not changed anything Um, of what I would have said before, like um, it's better to get a B in an AP than an A um, in college prep. However, if you have to struggle so much to maintain that B that the rest of your grades suffer too, then you need to really think about it carefully. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, one thing that our listeners have heard, if they've heard nothing else, they have certainly heard it depends. And I think this is a great example of that, right? Because Yes, this one is better, but it does depend. And then, you know, there are schools where the B in the AP is not going to fly, but an A in the college prep wouldn't fly either. So, you know, like you need to take the AP and you need to get an A in it. Um, and that's that's the reality there. So, right. But the good news is a lot of – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ian.
4: I was just going to say I had this same conversation with one of my students just last night. And I think mm-hmm. the answer is is the same, but one of the things over the last eight years is – My way of answering that question has become different. The different Mm -hmm. examples I'll use, the analogies that I'll draw. Um, But, you know, it's a good reminder that the people that have been finding our conversation, I don't think we have any listeners who started on day one and have been with us the entire time. That would be a little bit unusual uh, for somebody to be that committed to college admissions (laughs) advice. Uh, And so we do have to keep coming back to these kinds of questions because they are fresh or the next student that we're talking to. And, and it's nice that some of these answers don't change because there is a lot of variance across uh, our, our field.
1: Yeah, totally. Shannon, you had something, I think.
3: It, I'm taking us on a side note, but it just it. made me think of it when you said, you know, we said, it depends many times over the past eight years. I am now wondering, I've got another challenge for our listeners. Go back and find the first instance of It Depends. and I would guess it might be in that very first episode because yep. it is so ubiquitous mm-hmm. to, to this process. But I think in honor of our eighth anniversary, I want to make another ask of our listeners. I want to see hashtag It Depends <laughs> trending on Twitter. That is my goal to celebrate uh, this anniversary. Come on, folks, like help it.
4: us out. Did you do the dishes? Well, it depends.
1: <laughs> what do you mean by do? Do you mean I looked at them or oh, yeah. I put them in the sink? They're put them in the sink. I, the sink. I did I the dishes. They are sure. in the sink. Shout out to Pink. If anyone follows Pink on Instagram, and she called out her husband for leaving yes. a dish in the sink soaking. And she's like, I'm on to you. I know what this means. It'll be here for three days until I clean it. So, mm-hmm. yes. Did you do the dishes? She thinks yes she thinks no no so it depends
3: <laughs> it depends
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> which leads me to my next question and this one's for you Shannon and I feel like you and I say that a lot because we do the Q&A frequently but um yeah. our second show featured who qualifies for financial aid which I think is another it may be not quite the ubiquitous question as the you know A in college prep versus B in honors is but it's a big one and so I'm curious what's your answer and and what if anything has changed about that?
3: I'm going to say the the answer has not changed a tremendous amount over the past eight years, but it's about to.
1: Mm, um, because,
3: interesting. and if you're a regular listener, you've heard us reference this a number of times, there's going to be a big change to the financial aid process coming, starting with the 24-25 school year. So that's actually, you're applying for financial aid for the 24-25 school year, in the fall of 23, so this is coming up starting this upcoming October. um, The government has decided to, what they they call it FAFSA simplification, um, which puts a lovely positive spin on it, and there are lots of lovely positive things about it. They are shortening the FAFSA from its current, I think it's 108 questions to only 36 questions, so it will be much simpler to fill out, which is wonderful for families. Um, a number of other changes are accompanying that that nice positive change, however, and they're not all going to be great for families. Um, so folks who may have qualified for financial aid in the past might not based upon some of these changes that are happening. And I think the biggest one, and we have referenced it on the show before, is the federal financial aid calculations are going to no longer Split a parent's contribution between all of the kids that they have in college. So, you know, yeah. right Brilliant. now, if you are they, you fill out the FAFSA, they calculate this number called your expected family contribution. Maybe that that number comes out to be thirty thousand dollars when you have one child in school, and then the next year your younger child also goes to school, you have two in college. That thirty thousand dollar contribution becomes fifteen thousand dollars a piece. Because it acknowledges that you're paying for more than one child. It, it, it makes sense that your, your money can't go to all of it, can't go to both kids at the same time. It's a limited resource. Um, so the current financial aid formula acknowledges that fact, splits your money between your two kids. The, with FAFSA simplification, that splitting is going away. So if you had a $30,000 contribution when your first child goes to college, you have, will still have a $30,000 contribution for them plus another $30,000 for your younger child. And God forbid you have more than two because it just keeps adding up. So that's where I think families are going to feel the the biggest effect. There are some other changes. Also, small business owners, small family-owned businesses are currently excluded fa- from the FAFSA calculations. They are not going to be under FAFSA simplification. So that's another tough one for families. Um, there are some, some good changes. They're no longer going to be looking at untaxed income for the most part on your FAFSA, so money you contributed to your 401k it would be included currently is included as part of your income now it looks like it's not going to be we still haven't seen the final new FAFSA yet. Um, so some, there's still some question marks about something. So there are some, it's a mixed bag with this FAFSA simplification. So okay. that, again, as of today, not a whole lot has changed about who's going to qualify for financial aid. The formula has essentially been the same. The last major change was in the 1990s, um, but we've got a big one coming up soon. And so we will, we will keep folks informed. As we know more, we get more guidance from the Department of Education, which we are expecting throughout the spring and summer, we're going to keep fo- folks informed.
1: Right, and just really quickly for our listeners' edification, you do typically you qualify for financial aid based on income, correct? Correct. And income that's is absolutely
3: thing. the major driver of the formula. Right. Uh, assets play a very small role, so that's you know another common question in the work that that we all do, and specifically what I do. You know, why if why should I save for college? It's just going to cost me financial aid, and the truth is that it does not cost you much financial aid, whatever you save, uh, is helps you much, much more than the, the small uh, limited loss of financial aid that it may cause. Well, right.
2: especially if you think about the interest rates, you'll be paying off those loans otherwise. Absolutely.
3: I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah. In the paying for college world, you know, we're talking about the financial aid formula has, has stayed pretty static, but, you know, it, paying for college changes a lot from year to year, you know, like with the economy, what's happening with your investments. If they're doing well, it's a whole lot easier to, to pay for college. What happens when interest rates go up? You know, it's a whole lot harder to pay for college because borrowing's going to cost you a whole lot more. Um, so that, and we are, interest rates are on the rise. So that's going to be another tough pill mm-hmm. to swallow for families, unfortunately, for the near future.
1: Yes, it is. And I think one of the big things for me Um, in, in, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I just always want families to be thoughtful, to really think about what they can afford and just be smart about that because, you know, I believe very strongly and I believe everyone on this call agrees with me that college is important. It is valuable. It is worth it. But there are a lot of options out there that don't mean you're going to have to go into significant debt. Um, but you have to be smart about what those options are. But
2: mm-hmm. yes, Beth, last
1: give-
4: show actually uh, was fantastic. We had a yeah. couple of alumni from the CSU system who were on mm-hmm. talking a little bit about their decision to choose CSUs actually over the UCs. Oh, in interesting. Cases. Yeah. And cost was a big part of it. And and they, they had some great stories about their current professional careers and they are thriving. And it's a really great reminder that uh, you don't have to go to the glitziest, glossiest institution, you but you got to make a a holistic decision about those opportunities.
2: Right. I just want exactly. to specify that you're speaking about Cal States compared to University of California system. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. But our, yes. our fans who listened last week, they'll know. We <laughs> yeah. <of> <laughs> yeah, if you listen to last right. week. And if they I didn't. about like Colorado State, for example. That's like, true. <laughs> so,
1: if they right, didn't listen, true. they can go back and listen uh, now because you can get the yeah. archives. Yeah. Shannon, yeah. you look like you had something Yeah, else.
3: no, I just wanted, I want to give us some props for, I, I, don't, I don't know that it was in the very first episode, but from very early on, we decided that there would be a finance segment in every single one of yeah. our episodes. So I want to give us all props for that, for putting finance sort of at the forefront of this admissions process and acknowledging that it's extremely important to families, and we're going to include it in every single episode, and I think, certainly a lot of admissions consultants don't do that. Uh, Other admissions podcasts don't necessarily do that. It's true. Um, So I want to give us credit for doing so. And, you know, there's no other purchase of this size (laughs) that you enter into without thinking about, you know, what I can afford. But I think people do that a lot with college. Um, And so I'm proud of us for, uh, acknowledging the importance of, of the, the financial factor can in I, every one of our episodes.
2: Can I jump in though? I always like yeah. to emphasize that the wealthier institutions, a low-income student might actually be better off going to them. I mean, uh, Ian and I both went to Reed and this was a few years ago, but it, I think Christine was the one who told me this, that the average indebtedness of the student who attended Reed who was in the lower income bracket compared to Oregon State, which is a much lower cost institution by the numbers, actually, they uh, came out of Reed with much less debt. Yeah. And the Ivies, for example, have committed to no debt. So I just always like to stress, go ahead and apply to some of those expensive institutions, but make sure you have the public institutions in there as well, and the institutions that you know will give you some merit scholarship also.
3: Right. Yeah, I think part of, I don't think it's the entire reason, but part of the reason why Cost tends not to be at the forefront when you enter this process, is because it is impossible to tell right up front what a college is going to cost you. It's not like um, like a house or a car. You know, there may be some negotiation involved, but but you know the general price range of the product. Whereas with college, you don't if you don't do your due diligence. And we've talked about kind of how to do that on a lot of our episodes, but. The sticker price for most people is absolutely meaningless. Yeah. And it's true. It all depends on your finances, what financial aid you qualify for, and your academics and other factors, how um, badly a college wants to recruit you. That's going to determine your scholarship eligibility. So it is extremely difficult for families to know upfront what a college mm-hmm. will cost them. And so that absolutely throws an added challenge to this already challenging process.
1: Yes. Mm. Well, you mentioned that we've included finance in virtually every episode, and I believe we have except for episode one. And the reason that finance wasn't in episode one is because we were still figuring out the format. We were going with two segments a show instead of what we now typically do is three. Today we're doing two. But in that very first show, Ian, we had – one of the test prep companies that we work closely with, Revolution Prep, um, mm-hmm. came on as a guest, and we talked about the new SAT that was going to be rolling out that year. And so, obviously, standardized testing has changed some, and I was curious to get your take on. So that new SAT rolled out in 2015, but you know, what do you what do you see that has changed, and and the highlights, and then what do you think the future is? I want you to look into your crystal ball and. <laughs> Figure it out for us. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
4: okay. I can try that. Um, can. It, it was so funny. The new SAT was such a topic of conversation. And, and then mm-hmm. in about 2017, people just stopped saying new all of a sudden. And that was just yep. the SAT. And I, I frankly barely remember the change that came before to the after there are still lots of changes that are happening in the standardized testing landscape, but we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that we went through a global pandemic in 2020 and, mm-hmm. and are still, in some ways, living the effects of that. And that had a huge impact on the college application process, I think probably most notably felt with testing. Um, and I, we could come back and talk a little bit about learning loss and, and the effect of students in the classroom and having to have their coursework across Zoom. I think that that's been a really difficult challenge for just about everyone who's been in this space. But the testing is a really um, precise and kind of uh, pronounced acute effect in terms of the pandemic. Um Schools couldn't require students to take the standardized tests because so many sittings were canceled. You think about getting a bunch of teenagers into a room in 2020 to take Mm -hmm. a proctored exam for three and a half hours. That is a super spreader event right there. Right. So Mm -hmm. it got canceled in most places. There are some notable exceptions, Florida, that were perfectly fine (laughs) having students sit for the exams and continue to require those exams for Florida public universities. But a lot of colleges said, hey, here's a chance for us to take a shot and see if we actually need testing in order to make the decisions that we have long made. And so most schools went test optional. Um, some were temporarily test optional, but close to 90% of schools still have that policy in place. And it's been, frankly, wonderful for students. Um, it's It gives them some real flexibility. Um, I was talking to one of our test prep colleagues who said, you know, students shouldn't ever be test optional because they should know how they're going to do on the exam and consider it as a potential for them to add strength, but but schools are test optional. And so that gives them an enormous amount of control about how these exams fit into the process. And so You know, for those students who are anxious about testing, who might perceive that to be a weakness in their application, they are no longer bound to send those scores. And that's really, really different from how it was in 2019 Mm -hmm. and certainly how it was in, you know, the late 90s and going on back. So SAT, ACT have become less important in the process There is a little bit of clawing back of the SAT that is happening in some places. MIT is probably the most notable of these. They have said Mm -hmm. we are going to go ahead and require test scores going forward because we see a correlation between good scores and success in our academic programming. There are still public universities that are going to require test scores as well. But I think that a lot of schools are pretty pleased with what they've been able to do with test optional admissions. And I can just imagine being in a situation where you've got, (laughs) you've got, you've got a great, great student whose scores might not be good. You don't have to say, let's put them on the wait list. Their scores are going to pull down our average. They can say, let's take this kid. We don't care what their scores might be because those numbers don't affect our average. They don't affect our, our rankings. And, you know, somewhat tangential to this, you know, the former president of Reed college Colin Diver is a, uh, leading the vanguard against the rankings and has long been opposed to them. Reed has opted not to send uh, data to the U S news and world report rankings for as long as I've been affiliated with the college. And we're seeing actually some law schools that are pulling out of the rankings graduate programs that are pulling out of sending these data to the rankings. And I think that if you see that trend continue, the value of testing is going to continue to diminish in the application process. It has a lot of externalities, So, The question is, what can test prep company or what can testing companies like the College Board or the ACT do to adjust the format of the exam to make it more obviously valuable or more obviously predictive for student success? And they're on the clock here. Like they really need to figure that out quickly um, or colleges are going to say, you know, we don't really feel like we need you uh, in -hmm. this space. So I wouldn't be surprised if testing is gone by, you know, the next eight years from now, if it's just not a part of this process, it's just out but you never know. You know, <laughs> test, the testing organizations might figure a way to keep keep students around.
2: Don't Is you that think too bold? Like,
4: what do you, what do you think, yeah. Sally? What do you, yeah. do you think that that's well, I, I just
2: realistic? think Florida and and the states like that are going to hang on to because you know it's what they went. For, I mean, I I don't respect it as a decision, but I think there are people who see. I actually, way back in the day when I was at Whittier College, um, I actually wrote. Um, an article for the paper, a perspective of like the argument for going test optional. And it was interesting because the counterpoint was, of course, a student who did not work in admissions, but somehow he was able to say that the tests were as important as algebra, you know, or something like that. And I I just I think that there are people who feel that way, like, well, I went through it, so it must be important. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, I have some sympathy for MIT, um, but I think, like, really, Florida Atlantic can't read the applications without test scores. Of I course just, they can. I don't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. I, the entire Cal
4: State system can. Like,
2: yeah, exactly. On, the UCs can. UC it's Berkeley. Right. Yes. I don't like, I think UC Berkeley's doing okay without test scores. So, um, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we're a little bit preaching to the choir here on that front. I do recall standing in front of a crowd in my early time here at College Coach and someone asking, you know, we see some schools are test optional, you know, how far reaching do you think that's going to be? And saying, I think it would be great. I want to stress that if they are test optional, they really are. But you know, we haven't seen a lot of schools fall in line. And so by the time your student applies, I don't think that that will be super widespread. It was long enough ago that I believe I was right that they weren't there for that student. But to whoever made the point that we then went into a pandemic, Ian, I think it was you, that was unprecedented. And that really did swing the pendulum so quickly in the opposite direction that none of us, Mm -hmm. we could never have foreseen that. So- you know, again, I was asking for the crystal ball and I like it. I like your, your interpretation, whether or not it comes to pass. I guess we'll all have to get together in eight years.
4: Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll talk about it. it on this show <laughs> along see. the way. All
1: <laughs> right, we're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, we're just basically going to do more of this and hopefully give you some good info alongside a little bit of reminiscing. So don't go away. <laughs>
3: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at voiceamericatrn or twitter.com forward slash voiceamericatrn.
0: We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices.
1: Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google.
0: Play my favorite Voice America
1: podcast on TuneIn.
0: It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We're here getting in a college coach conversation. I've got my two co-hosts and most frequent guests, Ian, Sally, and Shannon. Um, We are celebrating eight years of weekly college coach podcasts. Um, Again, I failed to do the math over the break, but that's a lot of podcast episodes. I'm just saying. So I
3: think I, I think I did. its it 400? Over
4: 400.
1: Is yeah. it? We had yeah. a big celebration when I hit 300, and I lived in a place where I could actually drive to the party store and get balloons, and I got balloons, and <laughs> it was really exciting. And there are no party stores around here, so <laughs> yay, well, you know what, 400 plus.
4: You know huh. what I was just thinking, Beth? When when we started, if, th- if this was eight years ago, your son Jack. A, a little bit older than my daughter, Maya is now she's 10.
2: Mm-hmm. And
4: I've got a son who's eight. And as Shannon was talking through the changes in the FAFSA, I was like, "Ugh, don't say this to me because I had a <laughs> two, two year old and a nearly one year old at the time. And I was like, this two kids in college thing is going to work out great for me. Uh, and now it's like, okay, hopefully in the next eight years, there'll be another change that'll benefit <laughs> right. me and my family situation. <laughs> <laughs> but but Beth, you know, Jack went through this process. I mean, you were starting this when he was pre-middle school, and yep. now he is in his first year in college. Yeah. How has your just sense of his approach, like, how has that colored your experience both as a host and as an expert in the space?
1: I th- it's That's a super interesting question, and I think... F- The big thing for me is it's not just hosting the show, but also just doing this work is that over the years, I have definitely become incredibly open to all the different opportunities that are out there as far as college is concerned. You know, when I started here at College Coach, I went to Cornell, I worked at Penn, I had a pretty narrow view. I traveled with Georgetown and Harvard and Duke, and I had a really narrow view of what college meant, what it was, what was out there, and... There's zero question in my mind that working here and doing this show has really helped me see how many great schools there are out there. I mean, just by going on tours everywhere, every tour I go on, I'm like, this is place this is awesome. I'm like, yeah. Jack could go here. Um, Karen Crowley, who was here and has been a guest on the show before, um, you know, she and I always used to joke like, every school visit we went on, we were like, oh, Jack could go here. Teddy could go here. She has three kids. So after that, it became like, Zoe could go here. Yeah. Um, so that for me has been a big, huge positive. And, and it's another thing that I always hope that our listeners will take away, which is mm-hmm. that while, yeah, there are some big brand name schools that are out there, that isn't necessarily the sweet spot for many, if not most students. And um One thing I think that's unique about Jack is that when it came down to making his final choice, he chose the school that truly fit him best versus the school that was the most selective of those he got into. And a lot, a lot, a lot of people, even if they don't want to think about it this way, they encourage their students and the students feel the same way. They choose the most selective school that they get into rather than because somehow selectivity is best. All selectivity is, is about is supply and demand. And Mm -hmm. um, the longer I do this work, the more convinced I am of the, the truthfulness of that, that just because it's really difficult to get in does not make it the best in any stretch of anyone's imagination. So that's one big thing that's changed for me. Um, How about you, for you guys, like we just talked a little bit about, um, some of the things that have changed that we covered in those early stages. And I guess, you know, what what are some other changes either that you feel you think differently or that you see in the college-going world that you think are great or maybe less great? I obviously think that that change I went through is a really good one. It's certainly beneficial to my child. Um, And my wallet, I would add, as well. (laughs) Because it was one one of the most... um, you know, well-priced of his options that he chose. So, um, Sally, I'll start with you.
2: Well, some of, I mean, a big change for me has been um, doing a lot of research on the trades, workforce options, things like nursing, and just kind of recognizing that for some students, that's really the right path. Um, I mean, I'd been kind of, Throughout my career, I'd been moving more and more towards that. But really, my background is small liberal arts and sciences college. I worked at institutions that really value that, although Whittier also had a business major at the undergraduate level. But, you know, it was really about like education for its own sake. And over time, I've just realized that higher education is just not some place where everybody's going to thrive. Right. If you're going to thrive, if you want it, I want you to have it. I absolutely am. Like I can't state that enough. I am in no way, shape or form diminishing what I think the value is of higher education, but it simply isn't for everyone. And so I really, um, yeah, I've just been much more comfortable recently kind of saying, you know, if you really dislike school that much, maybe consider if you're the person who tinkers in your garage, maybe consider one of the building trades, which are actually very well-paid middle-class occupations, Right. You know, and and so that's been a big change with me, Um, you know, as college coach itself has kind of started looking at that more. I've I've really gone along with that.
1: Yeah. Shannon or Ian, Shannon? Yeah, I would
3: probably to piggyback on that. I think I have seen like it's not just us (laughs) who's thinking this way of considering the trends, considering less selective schools. I'm seeing it more from families. And I think much of it is related to the rising cost of college and people thinking about the value and is this for them and certainly overall college is a tremendous value on average it's going to increase your earnings power over a million Mm dollars over your lifetime Um, but thinking about the fact that that's there's not just one way to do higher education and mm-hmm. families considering all of these different options and thinking about what is going to provide them with the most value, kind of taking more control, you know, over this process. Um, I think one of my favorite topics to talk about on the podcast and just in life, I like to shout it from the rooftop, negotiating to get a better deal on college. I love, I, I love that topic because I think it is one really clear way where like families grab control over this process. I think there is still, there was eight years ago and still exists today. This kind of, I think feeling that it's easy for families to feel out of control in the college admissions process. Like Mm -hmm. their fate is in someone else's hand. Um, But I think more and more families are kind of taking more control of this process. And again, negotiation is where I kind of see it the most. And that's becoming, I think, more, a lot of people still don't know that it exists. We're trying to get it out there as much as possible. Um, but I but I think it's becoming more known and just more information about the college admissions process and how it works. You know, big books like Ron Lieber, Friend of the pod, Jeff Salingo, he came out to talk about his book. People are, are, um, are, are understanding more about how how this whole process works, and sort of taking control of what they can in in this process. Um, and I think that is a a trend I've seen growing, and I hope I hope it grows even bigger. Mm-hmm.
1: Quick addition to that, and then Ian, I want to toss it to you, but um, I, when you were talking, I was thinking about taking more control and different ways to do college. One great way that some people are doing college is they're getting their company to pay for it. And, oh, hey, yes. Bright Horizons will pay you to go to college if you yeah. have a job in one of their centers, one of their child care centers. So if you love kids and you want to work with kids, you can do that, get paid, and Earn your undergraduate degree while you are while you have a full time job and are getting paid. So the payment is not the degree. Who does that? The payment (laughs) is the degree, right? Exactly. The payment is you're getting paid for that job, but then you also get your degree. And there are other companies out there doing similar things. So again, not for everybody, and it's going to be a different college going experience than it would be if you are heading off to a four year institution that is going to be residential, but it's a very viable option for people who are looking and saying, either I don't want to go into debt or I just, I can't for whatever reason. So Ian, what about you? What are some of the things you've seen or something?
4: I I would just, first of all, I just want to say how how proud I am to work for Bright Horizons College Coach. You know, when I was working at, at Reed College, I would every day get in front of a room and really highlight the uniqueness of Reed. And it is a, re, a, a unique institution. But I was talking to a very small subset of of college bound students. And working here has just helped me to see so many different kinds of possibilities mm-hmm. and has really changed my perspective, even on what my own kids can look at. I, mean, I had very yeah. similar kind of experience to, to what you've had, Beth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because we get to talk to so many different families and you get to see talent and curiosity in so many different shapes and sizes from mm-hmm. students. And you recognize that that's something that can be found just about anywhere. So, you know, I've, I've really come to see that the the greatest predictor of successful outcomes is going to be the student and their personality and how they engage with their learning experience. And I I try and repeat that as much as I can with families that are concerned about where a student's going to get in, where a student's going to go. I think that that's much less important than what a student brings to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of changes, I think, you know, this is something you'll see a lot when there's writing about higher education, but, but one thing that I am growing a little concerned about is trends of students really looking more towards, um, pre-professional kinds of undergraduate programs. You know, computer science, I think, is something that comes up quite often. And I have nothing against computer science. I think it's a really interesting field. But I, I worry about students who express an interest in computer science, but don't necessarily have a sense for why it's interesting to them or how they want to use it. What's the way that they're going to wield these skills and this technology in order to make a difference in the world? And, you know, you bemoan the loss of the liberal arts and this sort of interdisciplinary approach to to understanding how the world works. But, you know, computer science is not just about knowing the code. It's about saying, how can I use this to improve lives of people? And in order to be able to do that, you have to understand what people need and how people interact and engage. And so history and philosophy and English, those classes continue to be really, really important, and, uh, you know, I worry also about this. You're seeing like a right now a little bit of a recession in technology specifically. And you have so many students who are graduating with CS degrees that are looking for jobs in space where a lot of big players in there are, are cutting jobs. So I will say forever, learn how to learn, be flexible, understand how to do the jobs of the future. And it's going to be much more important in most cases than, you know, preparing for a very specific thing that looks lucrative right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I fight that fight all the time. Sorry, just around like medical school, it feels like such a clear path. And so many bright students feel like that's the path they should be on because it's simple. You know, it's not simple, but you know exactly what you need to do in order to achieve it. And yet, you know, how many of them will ultimately change their mind? I I see medicine as a calling and not as a, well, I want to make money and be a professional. And Mm -hmm. therein, Sally, what were you going to say?
2: Well, that's just exactly what I was kind of leading into is that this desire, especially for everyone to have that clear path. And they know if you study computer science, you go into computer science, right? If you study history, what do you do? And they find there, you know, and I use myself as an example all the time as a history major. I then went on to work in education. There are these other options. Um, but I think it it is tough. The other thing that I get really concerned about, too, is, I mean, I had a conversation with a family um you know, like a, a couple of years ago, their student, I was looking at his transcript and he had B's in all of his math classes and they were at the college prep level and he had A's in AP's in history and English and they were talking about computer science for him. Mm, and I yeah. was like, you know, how much you, how no matter how much you pound on that square peg, he's not going to fit into the round hole. And in the process of doing it, you're going to damage him. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it's just, it was so strange to me that I couldn't like I, I mean it's not up to me it's their child their student but I was like I'm really seeing more talent in these other areas and our philosophy is really to build on your talents and it just was not, not so connected. I just finally had to say he's got to get A's in math he has to do this he has to do that and like none of which he was going to be able to do at the high level you know that they wanted him to do it, um
1: well, he certainly hadn't shown that ability right. at that point, right? To be fair, yeah. yeah,
2: it doesn't mean that like it wouldn't have happened later, but like in general, that was not, you know, the past is the best prediction of the future. So. Yeah,
4: but fair. to your point, Sally, I think that there is often a people want to hurry up and and establish their kids as fully formed products when they're applying mm-hmm. to college, and and nobody should be that at eighteen. Like part of the right. the goal of college and even your post college experience, your first jobs. You know, the friendships that you develop is about shaping the person you're going to become. I mean, you really have to wait until your 30s and maybe even beyond to, to identify, mm-hmm. you know, what am I really good at? How do I bring, you mm-hmm. know, something special to the table? And I, I hope people can get to be more comfortable with uncertainty, right? Like not knowing exactly what's right, but feeling confident that I'm a smart person. I'll figure it out. I'm interested in these kinds of things. I don't know exactly what the answer is for me right now. But when it comes along, I'll be able to recognize it. I'll be able to seize it, and Mm -hmm. I'll be ready. And yeah, the more people can do that, I think, the better off uh, they are heading into college and beyond. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Very, uh, with the time we have remaining, so when we conceived the idea of this podcast, and actually the podcast kind of found us. So I got a phone call from someone at Voice America who said, hey, we want to do a podcast on college admissions, and we think you should host it. And um, that was really awesome until I then found out that there was a cost associated with that, (laughs) which was a little less awesome, right? Like, oh, this big opportunity, how much are you going to pay? No, you're going to pay us. Oh, okay. (laughs) But I did see it in that moment. And I remember talking to Karen um, who we mentioned earlier about the vision that I had for you know I just thought this could be a great space for us um, and Shannon early on you were you did all of our programming on the finance side, right? So you kind of were in that producer role. I said I didn't have a producer for the first 13 episodes, but you, um, you gave me all the finance uh, segments that you thought we should do and, and then helped me find the people who should talk about them. So in essence, you were our first producer. I'm curious what your vision was um, or, what you thought that this podcast could accomplish when you were helping me with those early episodes?
3: I had absolutely no idea. I had no grand vision. I did not know, like you said, we were contracted for 13 episodes. I didn't, had no idea if it was going to go beyond that or not. But I thought it sounded like a fun opportunity to potentially reach more people. I didn't know if anybody would listen. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but can't in in the uh, spirit of what we talk about a lot, control what you can and let go of the rest. I, I, we, we'll put the information out there. We'll see if anyone listens. Turns out they have. But I just thought it was uh, a great opportunity to do something new, speak, um, you know, on a different platform, reach some new people. Um, you know, we love doing what we do every day in our jobs and working with the families that come to us directly and the families who get to talk to us through this benefit provided by their employer. Um, but obviously that is a small fraction of the college, potentially college going population. And there's so many more people out there that that we weren't speaking to. And I thought this could be a cool opportunity to reach those people. So I thought, why not give it a shot? I, no grand expectations at all. And it has, you know, surpassed my wildest yeah.
1: expectations. Yeah. yeah, me too. Sally, what about you? Any thoughts when you initially became a co-host and we we had committed at that point, we were going to, I think we had committed to the whole year or at least 13 more segments. And I realized quickly, I need help. I need co-hosts. Mm-hmm. Ian and Sally, you stepped in. And I think at that point, I may have even gotten a producer. Um, yeah. to help with figuring mm-hmm. out the segment. So I'm curious if you had any thoughts in those early days about what you th- this could be or do. I didn't
2: think I realized it was going to reach so many people. I mean, yeah. I know it could reach more. I know it's small potatoes in the world of like influencers and things like that. But to me, this is kind of astonishing. Um, and uh, it, uh, another thing is just... How much I knew it would be fun, but I guess I didn't realize it would be this much fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, just on a personal level, I was so nervous initially. and now I'm not really nervous anymore. And it's kind surprised of surprised
4: to hear that, Sally. you're so yeah, good at
2: it, yeah. yeah, well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate it. but I was terrified the first time Beth asked me. I like part of me wanted to really do it. And that part won out, but I was sort of, I was afraid of it. And then when you asked me to host Beth, I'd actually been thinking about volunteering, like saying, would you want some help? Cause I liked it so much. And then Mm -hmm. I spent the next week before like saying, why did I volunteer to do this? (laughs) But I figured if I played it out, I would be fine. And I am. And it's actually probably definitely one of my, the favorite things that I do. So, so that's on a personal level and it's been kind of nice I thought I would get here but it's nice to know that I've gotten here and the fact that we now have 750,000 listeners or something like that that um that doesn't scare me I'm like okay yeah Yeah. because I'm just talking to you guys you know or I'm just
1: talking to Shannon or whoever it might be and there's always another episode Mm -hmm. right so if it doesn't go as well yeah It'll be better well, the next time.
2: Exactly. And one of the things I realize is that if a mistake happens, well, I watch other people, and they make mistakes, even on like curated news broadcast programs. So sure. that's been kind of a really wonderful thing. So I don't know if you wanted to talk about it personally, but that's been some of my thoughts. I love it. it.
1: I have no agenda. Mm-hmm. Ian, what about you?
4: Yeah, I think when you asked Sally and I to be a uh, host, I was like, great, this is the Reed College takeover. Like, <laughs> hey, we can we can do this. I like, never thought about that
3: part of it. <laughs> Let's exactly. go. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, Maybe we should rethink that. Can yeah, <laughs> we go exactly. back in time? <laughs> it's, a, it's a
4: gentle takeover. Okay? Yeah, it's We're just mostly going to talk about taking <laughs> over. I mean, we can actually act. Um, I, <laughs> I think for, I think for like four years, I was skeptical that anybody was listening to us. Like I was, I would say regularly, like, I don't know if those numbers are real. Like it feels like it's made (laughs) up. Are people actually listening to the show? And, but I've been fortunate to work closely with a couple of students whose parents were listeners on the show who signed up to work with me. And it was, it's like, you heard, you learned about us through the radio show and you want to work with me? Like, it was so cool. And Sally, you were saying that, you know, sometimes you'll get on a call uh, through the benefit where people are like you're Sally Ganga from the podcast. Like, <laughs> that's so cool to have that exposure. And it's like, okay, I guess people actually are out there listening to us. Mm-hmm. So that was yeah. really cool. The, the thing I'm most proud of about the show is especially, um, you know, we had Lauren Randall that was producing for us. Mm-hmm. We've got Jennifer Simons now who's producing for us. I love that. Christine
1: hour. Kenyon. I think Christine Kenyon for did us. some production yep. for yeah. us. Michelle Smoley well. does the finance side Michelle, now. Yeah. Yep. So lots of shout great shout out people to Kathy Ruby. Yes. Kathy Ruby. Yes. as well Our old colleague,
3: He's,
4: whatever, whatever. <laughs> Kathy, If you're listening, <laughs> come on back. We love it. Yep. Um, but but is that, you know, our topics have expanded and our guest list has expanded. Like, we're now talking about really interesting stuff in higher ed. You know, Shannon, you mentioned uh, Jeff Salingo. We've done some reading projects. At first, I was like, are we just going to talk to each other every year about the same old stuff? And there is some of that. But we've found a way to keep this vibrant and make the content interesting, even for us who are asking these same questions year over year. Um, And that's been a real surprise to me. I don't think it should be given the talent we have on this team, but it's it's been what makes this interesting to do week Mm -hmm. after week, 400 episodes, like weekly episodes on college admission. That is that's a lot to do. And we've really pulled it off.
1: Yeah. Well, and as you mentioned that, you know, we do talk sometimes about the same things. I think that's necessary because right? As we were just talking about, there are evergreen topics that if you are just starting on the college process, we need to cover. And so, when I think about, when I talk to uh, the people who are working in those producer roles, it's sort of like, you know the things we need to talk about, and we just need to make sure we get those in at the right time, and everything else, let's look for interesting things and, and see what's out there. And I know that my vision for this was I think in many ways similar to, to some of the things that you guys have articulated, but I, I just always wanted this to be a space where you could he- get practical information. Mm. So there's plenty of room to have theoretical conversations and we do, but that at, in every show and almost every segment, there should be things that you could take away and apply to whether you're a student or a parent, apply to your own situation um, and in that way that it would be very useful. There are a number of other podcasts out there and uh, that in some cases deal more with the theoretical or they're talking to people who constantly, well, their, their theme, I don't, you know, and it works for them. And it's a good thing. It's just different is maybe they're talking to people who are doing this work and the challenges they face and the struggles they face. There are a lot of great podcasts out there about, In the world of admissions and college finance, but what I love about our focus, and I believe we maintained it, and I think we should maintain it um, in perpetuity, is just that practical element. And so I would actually, as we wrap this up, toss to our listeners and say, hey, are we hitting that? You know, what are we practical enough? Um, what topics would you like us to cover more frequently? And you know, cause you've heard me say it a million times and you've heard everyone here say it a million times, right? You can shoot us a, a note on Facebook. You could just post it right on our Facebook page or Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, you could tweet it at us. You can message it to us. You could send us an email. And here is the point in the show where despite doing this for eight years, I still don't have our email address memorized because it's so dang long, Gettingin.voiceamerica@gmail.com. at gmail.com. But, you know, send that stuff to us. Ask us these questions. Let us know what you want to hear more about. Let us know if we're hitting the mark. You know, are we are we providing relevant information for you? Because at the end of the day, that's our goal. And while we love this, we could sit around and just talk to each other all the time. And, and we do. And we do (laughs) if it's not valuable information, then, um, you know, then it's kind of useless and we're wasting our time and yours. And we don't want to do that. Okay. Thank you guys for being here. I appreciate it. Thank Uh, you for your leadership here. Absolutely. Well, and, and then in a, in a twist, Sally, Ian, and I will be back next week. Um, Shannon, unfortunately, will not be, but we're going to be at um, an admissions team meeting, college coach admissions team meeting. And so we're going to bring you kind of the, the latest, greatest that we're learning as we all get together as a team to talk and maybe we'll coerce a couple of people to come on camera and join us and, and answer some questions. We'll so, uh, you know, uh, don't uh, you know, don't forget we are here every Thursday at uh, 1 p.m., 4 p.m. Eastern and 1, 1 p.m. Pacific. Jeez, That's right, I can't ben. even get my clothes done <laughs> and I do the same thing every time. All right. Bye, everybody.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach.